how I came to be here is a story of God's headship and my submission, because a while ago, a friend of mine asked me to speak at her wedding, whenever that happens, um, about Jesus, and I was driving home from a wedding, reflecting on the talk that had been, and this verse popped into my head, and I was like, huh. Wouldn't it be funny if I spoke on that at a wedding? Um, and what happens generally when I do that is I, I start to think about the passage, and this whole message started to come together in my mind. It was quite a long drive. Um, and I went to bed, and I just had this little thought like, you should speak on that in church. That would be fun. And I was like, yeah, jokes. Go to sleep. So I did. <laughs> and um, I woke up the next day, and I decided to study the passage a little bit. And I felt like God had said, you should talk about this. And I said to God, yeah, no thanks. If you want to make that happen, I'm going to leave that to you, and I'm not going to pursue this. I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to go about my business, which I did. And so we're going along the passages in Ephesians, and about three weeks later, I'm at a training uh, meeting here in the church for the prayer and kindness team. So that's the team that operates um, across our sort of love broccoli initiatives. We pray, we listen, we sit with people, and we were practicing hearing from God for each other through words, encouragement, pictures. And I'm the last person in my little group to be prayed for, and this woman, who, who I greatly respect, turns to me, and I had told nobody about this. I hadn't even told Bobby about what God had said about this. And she turns to me and says, do you speak? And I was like, yeah, all the time. And she was like, no, 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 do you speak here at church? And she, we were sitting there, she pointed to the stage. And I said, I mean, I've done it a few times, and my heart starts racing. And then she says, why are you hiding? You've got something to say, go and say it. And I, I started laughing because I was going to cry. I didn't know what else to do, and I knew, I knew. And so I went home and emailed Ben. It was 10 o'clock at night, and I said, Ben, I just had a nudge from God about speaking on this. Totally cool if you've got someone lined up. In fact, you know, don't worry about it. Actually, ignore my email. Good, good night. And he comes in on Sunday, and he says, let's do it. Let's give it a go. And I'm sitting there going, all right, Jesus. All right. So here I am talking about love, headship, and submission. Now, when we look at this passage, I'm not going to read it over again, but there are some key, key verses that we tend to pull out, and you probably know them. They sound like this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And there are generally two responses to this passage. The first one, this is ridiculous. Paul's a misogynist. We completely ignore this. This is irrelevant to our church, not relevant in the 21st century. We're just going to skip right through them. The second one is a literal application that says, this is how husbands and wives should relate to each other, and this is how men and women in the church need to operate. There's a, um, other people have other responses, but they, you generally fall into two camps here. And the problem with both of those is that this is the word of God. So we can't ignore it. We can't just say, oh, I don't like that bit. Not sure how I feel about that. Goodbye. And we can't lift it out of its first century without doing any groundwork and plonk it here in the 21st century and said, okay, wives, submit to your husbands in the way that we understand submission. Husbands are the head of the wife, okay, so he's the authority over them. And as Christ is the head of the church, so therefore man is the head of the church, and apply it in that context. What we need to do is the work of trying to understand 
what those words mean, what Paul was talking about, and the bigger picture, prayerfully and through the leading of the Spirit. So we're going to start with submission. And I'm just going to offer some thoughts for you this morning. And I encourage you, as you go away, like Ben said at the start, I want you to think about the passage, who are you, and what is it asking you to do? Now, submission. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. That's how we think about the start of this passage. And that is because originally the letter was all one big thing and then someone divided it up into chunks to make it easier for us to remember. But they decided to put the subheading between verse 21 and verse 22. So we have always read this passage with the starter, wives submit to your husbands. But if you read Paul's flow of thought up until this point, he says, live as children of the light. Live as people who carry God's presence. Be careful how you live. Live wisely, not foolish. He says it from verse 18, be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, like we were just doing. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he concludes his thought in verse 30, because we are members of his body. Paul talks about submission using the analogy of marriage, but the whole point is to actually illustrate how Jesus relates to the church. And the application of this passages goes beyond husband and wife. Love and, love and submission are relevant across all of our relationships. It's not solely for those who are married or wanting to be married. And this is really important because we glorify marriage. Uh, it's great, it's a wonderful thing, but we make it sometimes the ultimate thing. And this, this hurts people around us. Because sometimes when we talk about marriage, we don't realize that this might be painful for others who want to be married and are not, who choose to embrace singlehood and are not honored for that, and, or, or have experienced abuse in their marriage, or used to be married, and for, for many reasons are not anymore. So as a body, we need to be aware that when we talk about how great marriage is, and it is, it's not the ultimate thing. And Paul's not making it the ultimate thing. He's putting it as an illustration for how we as the body should uh, operate together. Which is why he says first, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22 in the Greek actually makes no sense without verse 21. Verse 21 says that is the verb. It has the submit verb in, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22 in the Greek says, wives to your own husbands also. So if you just take verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as we have translated it, if you look at the original, it's not meant to be read by itself. It's meant to be read in that flow of thought. And it's important because the context also says to your own husbands. And the reason for this is because at the time in Ephesus, women were going around submitting themselves, wives, sorry, were going around submitting themselves to other people's husbands. That is what was happening. And Paul says, no, no, no. Because you live and you experience the love of God, submit yourselves only to your own husbands. But being submitting to yourselves, submit to one another is what I'm actually getting at. But by the way, women, what you should be doing is submitting yourselves to your own husbands. And submission then and now are two different things. When we think of submit, I'm going to submit to you, I'm going to do what I'm told. I'm going to submit to the power, to the authority, or I'm going to submit the paper, I have to do a task. It's quite, I would say, obedience orientated. I'm going to do what I'm told to do. But actually, when Paul was writing about submission, 
it was about putting another person first. It was about putting yourself underneath another and raising another person up. So submission wasn't about getting something done. It was about how you loved and served and honored another person. So I think submission is a heart thing. It's about being so invested in one another, about putting the other needs before your own, not neglecting your own needs, please don't misunderstand me, but putting someone else's needs before your own so that you can constantly be on the lookout to help and serve one another. It's a choice. And that's important because when we have choice, it means that we're free. We are free to choose either way. And that was radical for women at the time because they were not given choice. They were not even really treated as humans. They were objects. They went from being owned by their father to being owned by their husbands. From one household to the other, they were property. In Jewish law, they were inferior. A woman couldn't get up and testify. A woman was blamed or seen as the cause of male infidelity and sexual immoral behavior. And they were considered to have a weak nature. Just on that point, weak nature. Childbirth, that's all I'm gonna say. Um, marriage at the time as well was considered a contract. So you go from one place to another. It's not about love. Wives were for children. Prostitutes and concubines were for pleasure and for company. Men were the legal authority. They were the head of the house legally in that they could make decisions like, we don't want to keep that child there unwell. We will send them out of the house. And men were never told to love their wives wasn't part of the culture, wasn't part of Greek society, wasn't part of Roman society, wasn't part of Jewish society. Loving your wife was never an expectation. So actually, when Paul turns around and says, husbands, love your wives, everyone in the room would have went, what? Wait, 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 what do you mean love my wife? Who says that? That's not a thing. But he says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Paul says, the love you experienced from Jesus, which we've spelled out to be sacrificial, to be unconditional, not because you deserve it, because he just loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. Go and love your wife like that. Go and put her needs before your own. Go and make sure she is okay. Go and put her first. In other words, go and submit to her. Put yourself underneath what she needs and build her up. So Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, go and lay yourself down for your, for your wives. He is defining marriage in terms of equality. That's what we understand today. He's defining marriage in terms of equality. It's about mutual submission. It's about husband and wife taking care of each other, building one another up, putting each other's needs first, so that both will grow, both of them, and experience the fullness of life. And that's what submission is. And we know this biblically because that's what Jesus did. The greatest model of submission. Paul says it, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Jesus didn't need to leave heaven. He could have stayed there comfortably, peace, peacefully, didn't have to suffer, didn't have to put up with us, didn't have to deal with anything. He chose to come down and do what we needed him to do because we couldn't do it ourselves. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave 
assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even on a cross. Jesus put us first. And that is what Paul is asking us to do. All of Ephesians has been about this. It's been about unity. It's been about bound together as the body of Christ. It's been about being a new creation. It's been about serving one another with our gifts and our talents through the bond of peace. Our lives should be a community lived in service to others, serving their needs and not just our own. And Jesus talks about this all outside of marriage, which is how we know it's not just a marriage thing. He says in Matthew 20, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to to be served, he came to serve. And in John 15, he says, my command is this, go and love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down your life for your friend. He washed his disciples' feet. Don't have time to unpack that, but it's not like our feet today. They were horrible feet. He washed their feet. Um, he had compassions on crowds of people when he was exhausted. He'd been, out, he'd been out for a long journey. Imagine the longest flight you could think of. He got back. It was horrible. They lost his bags. He's really upset, and he's getting into his front door, and someone comes over and says, Jesus, I need you. And he goes, oh, okay. Because what you need right now is more important than what I need right now. He spent endless hours ministering to people. So if Paul is talking about mutual submission, if that's how we understand submission, then what do we make use of the term head? For the husband is the head of the wife, this is verse 23, as um, Christ is the head of the church, his body, which is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And Paul talks about this in multiple of his letters. Another one in Corinthians, he says, I want you to, I want you to have to understand, sorry, I want you to have understood That the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, but the head of Christ is God. And this is where we get the concept headship. Who ever heard that term? Um, And we think of things like, I'm in charge. I'm the head coach. I'm the head facilitator. I make decisions. I oversee other people. We're the head of operations. Uh, Someone who, I guess, decides and oversees, and, and we think about it also in the context of like the head of the army. They're the ruler of those. And headship in the church has come to be used in multiple ways. One of them, which is what Paul talks about, is confined to marriage. So wives as the head of the husbands. But people have also used this argument as headship of men over women. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says that Christ is the head of all people and that husbands are the head of their wives, not men over women. And the challenge is... That kafale, the word that they use in Greek, it has so many different translations, so many different ways to understand it. And I just want to say, as I do this, that people have been debating this for years, so it's not like I'm going to solve it in one day. Like I said, please read the passage, go away and think about this, do the work, let's all do the work. But I'm going to offer some thoughts. Literal physical head. The word kafale is used in the New Testament for literal physical head, like when John the Baptist's head was presented on a platter. I think in this instance we can rule that out, because Bobby is no more my physical head, um, as I am the physical toe in the body of Christ. 
although I do really like his hair. I wouldn't mind having his hair. But um, he's, I think literal physical head is out. Another, <laughs> another option which is quite popular is source or origin. So it's often spoken about um, head being understood, kafale being understood as source of origin. And we get this from uh, Genesis 2, when man, uh, sorry, woman is taken from Adam's rib and made. And the, the, the way head is understood here is like the head of the river, the source of something, the, almost like the beginning, but not quite. The problem that I have with this is that the source of Adam was dust, if we think about that literally. If we're going to say that Adam was the source of woman, then the source of Adam isn't Christ, it's dust. And so we think a bit wider, we go, okay, well, it's not literal then, but then Adam, the source of Adam is Christ. Adam was made in the likeness and the image of God, that's how he is the source, so was woman. Woman was made in the exact likeness and image of Christ, no less than man was. So therefore, the source of woman, it can't be man, it would have to be Christ. So I, I don't necessarily think source is the best explanation. Also, Christ, God, the source of God, the source of Christ is God. I, that's, again, a whole other message. I don't necessarily know that I can get on board with that either. Um, because they're co-eternal and they have existed all the time together. No one was first. So uh, one that's not often talked about is first principle. So we understand head as the first principle of something. And this is an ancient term. We really don't use it much anymore. But it speaks to be about the principle from which something is derived. So it's kind of like source. It's very close, but without the connotation that something existed before the other. So you have the first principle... Um, and it speaks to the things that they share, how they are similar, what their essence is. So, so the, the, hus- the man and woman share an essence. God and man share an essence. Christ and God share an essence. There is no hint or reference to authority, which brings me to ruler and authority. Now, this is a notion in the, in the Old Testament. We do have the heads of armies who ruled over, and people will argue, well, Jesus says that we're the head and not the tail the head being on top. I'm going to come back to that. In Genesis 3, this is where this argument has some of its foundation, the woman is told, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. But that was not the plan. In the beginning, some of my other favorite lines, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He made male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. He didn't say to Adam, go fill the earth, subdue it and rule over your wife. He didn't say to Eve, go work in the kitchen and cook the vegetables. He said to both of them, be blessed, go and fill the earth and subdue it. He created them equal and gave them the same mandate and the same blessing. And they chose to turn away, and the direct consequence of this was a complete corruption of our relationships towards one another. And if you think about, if you, uh, people will argue from created order, I'll talk on that in a second. If you think that ruling over women was there to start with, then the curse, the your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, is sad. If the original design was that we were equal and everything was meant to be the two of us, then the curse of rule over you is devastating. And that's what sin is. It is devastation. It's not just a little bit bad. 
it was completely turned around. So just on the brief note of created order, as um, people will say Adam was first, he was given the naming, he named Eve, she was made from his body, therefore he's in charge. But Genesis 1 and 2 make no mention of headship. Like I said, no mention of authority, no mention of control. Woman was made in the equal likeness, in the equal image of God, equal to Adam, to work with him and bless the earth. Now, back to our friend Paul. Interestingly, he does talk about authority in marriage. Don't know if anyone knows that, but he talks about it in Corinthians, and he says this. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. Interestingly, in this picture, doesn't use kafale. Uses a completely different word for authority. And what I find amazing is that the authority is about submission. Husbands don't have authority over their bodies. They submit it to their wives. Wives don't have authority over their bodies. They submit it to the husbands. Mutual submission. So... It's not an easy term to define. Hang on, I've lost a page. Where did that go? There we go. So what does Paul mean when he talks about Christ as the head and husbands as the head? I think he's talking about a supportive foundation. Let me unpack that. Here's one of the problem with word study errors, right? We get zeroed in on a word and we go, kafali needs to mean something, it needs to mean this, this is what it means, great, bang, done and we lose sight of the whole passage. In the big picture, Paul's ultimate aim here is that when we hear this, we would better understand how Christ relates to the church. That's what he wants us to walk away with, how Christ relates to the church, how we should relate to one another. And in the Gospels, Jesus is described as the headstone or the head of the corner. And this is actually a reference to the Old Testament in Psalm 118 where um, in Matthew it says, the stone the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. In the Greek, cornerstone is how we say it. It's become the very head of the corner. And in Isaiah it says, see, I am laying as in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We understand Jesus as the cornerstone, the head of the corner for the body of the church. Um, considering Paul was using the analogy of marriage to illustrate how Christ relates to the church, looking at how Christ's headship is described here, Jesus is the head of the church in all things that are built, sorry, in all things are built and held together by him. His role is to lay down his life and build up the body. So if we think about head and tail, Jesus is doing a handstand. The head's at the bottom. It's the foundation. And everything else is built up on top of it. And Paul talks about this already in his letter. He says in chapter 4 of Ephesians, we will grow, he prays for us, that we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Christ is the head, both men and women, body of believers built up in love. His role as head is a stable, foundational, supportive role that is completely sacrificial. That's what Paul wants us to grasp. 
I think. Kafale is not easy to define. But when you consider the placement of the verses and you consider Paul's letter and the wider thought about the picture of man and woman working together for the goodness of all creation, carrying the fullness of God, isn't it so beautiful to think about it as service to one another? He's saying, love one another as I have loved you. Lay down your life. And this is not easy because our concept of love is distorted because we are all broken. But when we consider what the Bible says about love, we discover two things. We are only able to live that kind of love because of Jesus in the first place. That's what being filled with the Spirit is all about. That's what being in the presence of God is all about because it is hard for us to love sacrificially. It is hard for us to forgive when we've been hurt. It is hard for us to trust. It is hard for us to say, I really wanna do that, but I'm gonna do this for you instead. It's hard for us to trust that someone will then say it for us because we're taught to take care of ourselves. But we can, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that we, by asking Jesus into our lives to help us through the power of his spirit that raised him from the dead, he will help us work through it when it goes wrong both when we get it wrong, because we will, but also when it is wrong and it's done wrong to us. It says in John, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And that love is sacrificial. It's submissive. It's serving and building up one another. Here are some uh, very quick examples of this in practice. Our social supermarket is an example of sacrificial love. It was born at a time when the world went in lockdown, there was chaos, no one knew what was going on. It wasn't really something on our church radar, but people were coming and asking for help and we didn't know what to do, so we sought God and we started the food bank. I was in some of those planning meetings. We thought it might be for three, six weeks, maybe a couple of months. It runs today and we need it now. We need it now as much as we needed it then. And it costs time. It costs money. It costs strength. People were putting themselves on the line, welcoming people from the community at the height when vaccines weren't a thing, when we didn't feel safe to do so. There are a team of people who come and meet and pray with people. And it has been gloriously beautiful to watch the impact of this on the community, but also as us on the church. We have learned to serve one another and we have learned to serve our community by putting what they needed first. On a personal note, God told me a couple of years ago to study theology. Again, I laughed that one off. And uh, at the time, uh, we had our, our daughter June was two years old uh, we were both working, Bobby and I were both working part-time to kind of care for her and manage that cost. And uh, Bobby had one day a week where he was actually pursuing the one thing he really wants to do, which is working in the entertainment industry. And God put this on my heart. And I was like, how are we going to manage? Because we can't afford to put June in care another day. And so we had to work through that and pray through it. And I went to Bobby and I said, if we do this, we need 6,000 pounds, which we didn't have. So there goes everything that we have and we're going to have to live in faith for, for this and you're going to have to give up your time 
You're going to have to give up your time on a Friday so that I can go and study and you can take care of our child. He already took care of her one day a week. That wasn't a new concept, but he'd have to give up what we had worked so hard for him to be able to do, to go and pursue what he wanted to do. And I'm not going to be able to think about groceries and paying the bills and housework. We do that together anyway, but I just would be out of the equation and I knew that. So for two years, he did the cooking and the cleaning and the childcare. And at the height of lockdown, when lockdown first hit, we had just found out I was pregnant. I was working and I was in the final semester, final month of my studies. I had four essays due. I was so stressed. I was asleep. I was eating lots of crisps. <laughs> he did dad from 7 a.m till 7.30 p.m., 8 p.m., and then he would clean the house, make sure everything was okay, and then he would emotionally support me through whatever crisis I was in at the time when I couldn't work out what I wanted to say. He laid down everything because God had put on, on my heart to do this, and we had pressed in and we'd prayed about it, and we felt like it was what I needed to do, what we needed to do. That's sacrificial love. We have to, I think, moving forward as a church as we grow, which is amazing, what we need to do, this looks like for us, is letting people in. And that's scary and that's hard, and we've talked about this before. But living sacrificially in the body of Christ, we're talking about how Paul, how Jesus loves one another, is that we have to start widening those circles. We came together, we formed together. We've been in this church for nearly five years, and I feel like there's more. There's more for us. There are new faces, new families, new friends, new traditions, new things to learn. Let's position our hearts to yield. We're being called to submit to one another and to work as equals. I'm going to ask you all to stand. Sorry, I've gone a tiny bit over time. We're just going to spend some time waiting on the spirit now. Um, If you are new here, you've not done this before, um, we're all just going to stand together. For those who can stand, if, if that's not able for you right now, please stay seated. Um, but I encourage you to just close your eyes. This is not fancy. Um, I'm not going to come and paint your face. It's just <laughs> so that you don't have any distraction. And if you'd like to open your hands, this is just a physical way of saying, God, I'm open to you speaking to me right now. The only way we can do any of this is by the power of God's spirit. So we're just going to wait now and allow him to come and speak. As I was preparing this, there are a couple of people that I really felt like God had put on my heart to pray for in preparation. And every week, we invite you to come forward for um, prayer. We can just partner with what God is already saying to you. We're not going to tell you what to think or how to feel. We just want to stand with you and pray. 
to see God complete the work that he has begun in you. And one of those groups of people, I can, I can see it in the room, the cogs are turning. And this might not be the way that you've ever thought about this. I want to invite you to come up for prayer. That God, that God would speak to you about it. It wouldn't just be what I've said. But that God would speak to you about this. That he would help you make sense of it. Another group is anyone who has felt really weighed down by this teaching in the past, especially if it's been used to stop you from being who God is asking and calling and has made you to be. That can be for both men and women. If you've ever been restricted because somebody said to you, you need to submit and you're wrong, for you to come forward. And also if there's anything else, anything else you need prayer for, we would love to pray with you. Thanks, Kylie. Thank you so much. So why don't we just start doing that? Come forward. Just come forward. We're over time already. So just come come forward if, if 